You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey friends, it's episode 183 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, and I'm happy that you are here. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. Go buy their pre-painted train or download their STL files or buy their fantastic uh, mouse pad mats, which I own like freaking 60 of. <laughs> uh, and thank you as well to my Patreon patrons. I love you all. You're like my children, except that you support my show and you are not strictly a drain on my resources. Because that's what my children are. Alright, what are we talking about today? Well, we are discussing the most insane combinations in 40k. Doesn't that sound like click? So, uh, I got my friend Leroy Jenkins to illustrate just how ridiculous you could make a unit with the hit rolls, wound rolls, save, all that, with stratagems and buffs and psychic powers and all that, to illustrate just how complicated this game is now. So it's not necessarily, like, the most powerful combinations, but this is just an illustration of how crazy the combinations can get. And we have an illustration with uh, Death Watch, and another with Sisters of Battle, and another with uh, Death Guard. So that's what we're discussing in the Real Talk. We have a Tesseract mailbox from our Shorehammer friend, Kojo, and he is talking a lot about the last episode, so we'll just dis discuss that when we get there. And we are also covering the Dark Reapers for Eldar that just came out, and whether or not we want them. What have I been up to? Well, I played a game of 40k this week at the club, and I won 50-something to 30-something. Uh, we were playing with the old rules because he didn't have his new uh, tournament pack, whatever. I was playing Guardsmen, he was playing, what was he playing? Oh, Space Marines. He was playing Minotaurs, and he had a bunch of Dreadnoughts and things like that, and uh, my Manticore, as usual, was the MVP of that whole game, and um, I was just able to score more points. I don't know, this sounds like the end of a football game, where he's like, how did you, how did you win the game? And they're like, well, huh, well, we just, uh, just put some points on the board, and we did it quicker and more often than the opponent. And, uh, I'd like to thank Gatorade, uh, so yeah, we, uh, we, it was a real team effort, all my miniatures did the things that I told them to, and they, I rolled pretty well for their actions, so that's, you know, we had a plan, and the plan was to win, and, and I think we did that here today. <laughs> so I've, I've done sidetracked myself now with that little escapade. What else have I been up to? I played a campaign game with my kids of brutality. They enjoyed that. My son, man, he he rolls so bad. He just rolls. And you know, we I have softened the rules for them a little bit. Like we now have a rule where you can't just instantly die in the first turn because sometimes they have bad rolls and uh my youngest actually died in the first turn like a month or so ago. And she just got to sit there the rest of the game. And I felt bad. She didn't complain. But I'm like, uh, you know what? That's not cool. So this past game, uh, my middle daughter, Gabby, she died very first turn. A bandit ran up and went, blam, and <laughs> took all three hit points from her. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you're not dead. You've got one hit point left. And then she ended up, I think she survived the whole game, I think, because she was able to be healed. But it's kind of funny that this guy just pops out and blasts her to death. And uh, it's different when you have a whole warband and you're controlling every character. It's different when you only have one character and also you're a child. <laughs> so 
I don't want the game to be quite as punishing for them. And having said that, my son was at 3 Insanity. He's playing a uh, Lord Executioner from Age of Sigmar, actually. He won that in the Shorehammer raffle this year. And it's the cool Lord Executioner you can only get from that, that certain box. It's not the one that you can normally buy. And he painted it. He took a lot of time. He took all of my advice. And he painted that thing so well. I'm super proud of it. He painted it like a flame theme. So not like the ghostly, but this ghost is like essentially on fire. And it looks fantastic. He based it. He painted it. A lot of times he gives up on stuff. You know, he loses interest in it. But this one he actually stuck with. And then when I was giving him advice, I'm like, okay, well, now you want to highlight it here. I taught him how to dry brush and all that. And I think he enjoyed painting it. But um, at the beginning of this mission, he was at three insanity because my daughter, who has inspiring as her passive ability to remove insanity from people. Yeah, well, she has not made a single passive uh, inspiring role ever. She's never removed insanity from anyone. So now all my, all my kids are at probably at least at two insanity, and my son was at three. Naturally, he failed his willpower check, so he became insane. And naturally, I knew it. If you roll a one or two, your character is... That's the only way your character can really die in brutality, because people die all the time in brutality. Essentially, it becomes an issue of you going insane and no longer being useful, and you just wander off into the wilderness. So, uh, on a one or a two out of ten, you become insane. And I knew it when I said, roll on this chart, Scott. And he rolled and rolled a one. And I was like, oh, I didn't see the roll. And he's like, oh, it's right here. I rolled a one. I'm like, no, I, I, I don't think that was it. And he's like, no, it, it was. I just rolled a one. And I'm like, no, I don't. I think it was this seven over here. And he's like, no, that was my willpower check that I failed. I'm like, no, you, I just try. I don't think just roll it again. And he's like, okay, it was a one, but whatever. And he rolls it again and gets a higher number. And uh, then afterwards, I was like, okay, so now um, he is, I think it's called shaken where he has to deploy within six inches of two other allies in the beginning of the game, where he starts with a confusion. <laughs> so, so his ghost, his fiery ghost, his Lord Executioner, is shook. He's uh, He's got to deploy near two friends, or he's scared. That's hilarious to me. And then afterwards, I was like, he's like, well, I did roll a one, though, because he doesn't know what the results are. And I'm like, Tru trust me, you didn't roll a one. And he's like, oh, I did. But see, the thing is, and I know I'm going easy on him, but he spent so much time painting this model. And we've probably, this is a new campaign, we've probably only played five games or so. We play about once a week. So, I mean, I didn't want him to lose his model immediately. And finally, I was like, trust me, you did not roll a one. And he's like, but I did. And then I showed him the list and he goes, oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. So, I don't know if you rolled a 1 or not, and he just shook his head. I'm like, this kid cannot roll. You've all met those people. You know, I roll good, I roll bad, you know, that sort of thing. I, I'm mixed. Some of my friends, like uh, uh, Goatman, Josh, he rolls terrible. It just, man, my, my friend Tim was always just a garbage roller. He could do whatever he wanted on the battlefield until he rolled dice, and then just garbage. I don't, I don't know why. My friend Matt's like that, too. It's just, uh, you feel bad for him. But anyway, I've taken a little bit of a creative week off from Brutality because I am working on that pretty much every single night, every single day I have free time when I'm not working or whatever. So uh, this week I just kind of chilled and took it off. But I am actually, I find that taking a little bit of time off from creative endeavors gets me very excited to start up again. So I have to edit one of my short stories I finished 
And then I really only have probably three or four more short stories until my short story anthology will be published. And I'm very excited about that. So people will get a real world everyday look at brutality and how all the different people live. And I think that really fleshes out the whole mythos and the whole backstory for brutality. So I'm really excited about it. Anyway, uh, that is about it. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And on this edition of the Tesseract mailbox, we have a letter from our Shorehammer friend, Kojo. And Kojo writes, Pimkron, hee hee, 1P. Yeah, uh, speaking of that, before I go any farther, I was changing Pimkron so that maybe YouTube wouldn't strike me for having the word pimp in it, and... You know, pimp is such like a 90s thing. It's kind of 90s humor, like Kid Rock was Stone Cold Pimp or whatever it was. And, you know, but <laughs> despite me changing it and taking the second P out of it, everybody still refers to me as Pimp Cron. So I think I'm probably going to end up changing it back to just Pimp Cron because that's what everyone knows anyway. All right, let's continue with this letter. And this was, by the way, at pimpcron at gmail.com. Kojo writes, well, this will be about episode 182, which was our last episode, not 179, in which I'm actually mentioned and I will eventually get to. Just a few quick observations. Diceless Brutality. Wow, that sounds cool, and I haven't even tried Brutality yet. I heard you mention play on Tabletop Simulator. Can you hook Keith and I up? Did I mess this up? Can you hook Keith and I up with where to find the objects? Okay. Uh, first off, we just use any objects. Um, I actually have a brutality module on Tabletop Simulator for regular brutality, but um, actually, I guess that would still work for Dice's brutality because the tokens still all work. So yeah, I could probably send you that, um, tell you where that is. Baby Seal Team is what he's quoting me. That made me cry laughing. I mean, you called two guys that might actually listen to your podcast a Baby Seal Team. <laughs> thwack, thwack. So, you know what? You're right, Colin. Uh, I don't know who those people were. I just know about them secondhand from what uh, Just James and Derek told me. So, I never saw who their opponents were, but they explained it to me that, you know, they just didn't really know their armies and didn't really know the rules and just made some really bad decisions. And that's why they beat them like baby seals. Uh, so, now, admittedly, Just James knows a lot of the same people I do from Shorehammer and whatnot, so he probably would have told me if it was someone we knew. But, I also don't know, you know, if they listen or not, there's no way for me to know that until they write me a, an angry or a sad email, I suppose. He continues, Begging for the life of Pimkron, I found myself doing similar in games against meta-professional whack gamers. Now, wait, he's referring to me... <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like the phrase begging, Kojo. Uh, I was negotiating for the life of Pemkron in the last round of that tournament I played because there was no point in my opponent killing him except for the idea that he, he could say he tabled me, which he clearly had already tabled me, just let this guy live, right? 
So that's what he's talking about, begging for the life of Pimkron. I found myself doing similar in games against meta professional whack gamers. Most memorable was back in 8th or maybe 7th edition, when the Flying Demon Prince BS was popular, against which I was using an Orc Chaos Alliance, whose sole purpose was to cast the old Vortex of Doom spell. So I begged the guy to let it go off. He finally <laughs> capitulates, and of course the Vortex kills only my guys. <laughs> that's pretty funny uh you know i forgot i totally it's been so many years i totally forgot you could mix orcs and chaos and different factions like that because they had the whole um allies matrix for those of you who played back then i completely forgot that so it wasn't by keywords technically there were no keywords they were just factions so then they'd be like oh they were desperate allies and you had to like i think that was the one where you had to keep the units six inches apart or whatever uh, so that is interesting. I'd like to I'd like to hear how that worked exactly. But he goes on decimators. Um, this is also referring to the tournament that I played and which my two first my first and second game both had three decimators, which were kind of a bitch decimator. There is so many things wrong with that unit, all of which kind of highlight the issues with the game right now. Honestly, it comes down to my latest personal quote. Ten points should equal ten points. Unfortunately, in a game where we are, are supposed to be balanced based on a points rating system, it isn't. The Decimator highlights that with a 10-point upgrade to an already undercosted unit, that can be done twice, that just ignores lots of points upgrades to 90% of the rest of the game. It seems like most of the Forge World stuff is like that. <gasps> what? Are you saying that Forge World is more powerful than regular Warhammer models, and that possibly... They have to up the stats and the abilities and the potency and or durability of the Forge World units in order to compensate for the higher monetary cost? No, Colin. No. I, I refuse to believe that. Yeah, I've been called all sorts of names for not allowing Forge World at Shorehammer. And I'm just like, look, Forge World, if you look at it logically, they cost more to make, I suppose, because it's resin. They certainly charge more to make them. And the, no one's going to buy them just because they look different. you got to give them more potent rules in order to make people spend the extra money. And that's what people do. So I'm glad Kojo's got my back on this one. And yes, the Decimators, basically what it was, I don't know if I ever covered this in, in the last episode or not, but each Decimator gun, I think, had 2D3 shots, or it was 3D3 shots, and they had two of the guns. And of course, it hits on regular ballistic, but then it just wounds on a 2-up, and he was re-rolling ones. And when it wounds on a 2-up, it doesn't deal damage, it deals mortal wounds. So, yeah, it's like F your toughness, F your save, F your invul save, just F everything, I'm gonna mortal wound you to death. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't super fun to play against. So, Kojo, uh, continues and says, it seems like most of Forge World stuff is like that. Except, of course, the Tantalus, which every time I look up the points, it makes me laugh. Another great job. Oh, almost forgot. Magen Ra, he looks... Magen Rasp looks like a heavy metal guitarist in his rock out pose. Look up Janik Gers from Iron Maiden, and I agree the skull shoulder seems out of place. Kojo. So, the Tantalus I've looked at many times. I play Dark Eldar, and I'm always looking like, ah, oh, well, let's see, you know, what Forge World has, and they have very little in the way of Dark Eldar. Tantalus might be one of the only things they have on there. And yeah, the Tantalus points, I look up the points and I look up the abilities of the Tantalus and I'm like, why? Why is this cost of the way it is? 
this would not be game breaking in any version, you know, and what is it? It's like, it's two hulls of raiders stuck together, but each one of them normally has a capacity of 10 models, and then, like, when they're shoved together, they've got a capacity of, like, 15. Like, it, it didn't, the capacity didn't even make sense. So, yeah, that's, that is just one of those things where I say, Games Workshop wants to sell models. They should make all models good at something. Like, either cheap for the points, or powerful, or durable, or maneuverable, whatever. They just need to have a role on the battlefield, but a lot of times they're stupid and don't do that. And I did look up Janet Gers, and if you just green stuffed a little bit more hair on Magen Ra, yes, he would look like Janet Gers. <laughs> Janet Gers. <laughs> anyway, thanks for writing in, Kojo. I appreciate it. And uh, you guys can write me at pimpcron at gmail.com. That's with two Ps. And or facebook.com slash pimpcron. Guess what? I put the second P back in. Ah, trying to keep you on your toes. So it is facebook.com slash pimpcron once again. I think I'm probably going to keep the YouTube channel Pimcron without a second P because I'm still wondering if YouTube's going to strike me or whatever. I don't know. But I think also you can expect the podcast title to go back to Pimpcron because by golly, that's what everyone knows me as. Anyway, I will talk to you later. Want that or want that not? Hey everybody, I think you know what time it is. It's time for Want That or Want That Not, and today we are covering the Dark Reapers for Eldar uh, Warhammer 40k. And in this box, you get five Dark Reapers and then some random little statue. I don't know what that is for, but it's a tiny little Grim Reaper statue. I'm sure it's probably something akin to like the Cherubs or whatever. They give you rerolls, etc. I don't know. I didn't look it up. I don't know. I don't have the codex yet. So, do I like these or not? Well, you know, to be honest, these don't look too bad. They are extremely reminiscent of the old Dark Reapers. I mean, they are, you know, sometimes when they redo models, they look very different. These look almost so similar that you're kind of like, why'd you even remake these? If you're going to make them look the exact same as the old one. And isn't that ironic that I would even say that? It's ironic that I would even say, hey, those things you remade, they look, you know, too much like the old version of it. But they really did not seem to take a whole lot of liberties with any of these models. But overall, they do have a more modern aesthetic to it. Um, they're less cartoony, obviously. They're much more realistically proportioned. The old metal ones, you know how the old metal ones are. They're kind of cartoony and a little um, caricature-ish. So, the actual models here look totally fine. I actually really like them. There's a few things that bother me about them, but they they have layers of armor on. I really like that. They've got neat backpacks. Um, I love their guns. Their guns look really nice. Uh, I forget what they're called, but the you know those Reaper guns are pretty fantastic. The thing that bothers me the most is their heads. Because... Number one, I never noticed it. I don't know if this is on the the old models or not. I assume it was. They have these little wings on the side of their heads, these little things that stick off. And I'm not certain what the purpose behind these little wings are, but it looks kind of silly. And if I ever get Dark Reapers, I'm I will seriously debate on just take cutting those off, just cutting off their head, their uh, wings off their head because it just it looks weird. I always kind of thought that the corn helmets looked weird with the big bunny ears. I always thought that was weird too. 
So this just falls in line with that, I think. But also, there's something about their face that really is odd to me. It's painted like a skull, and it's like a skull mask, right? But it's just off somehow. I can't even tell you how it's off. It's just odd. And I don't really care for it. You know, maybe if it wasn't painted bone color, maybe if it was painted red like their weapon or something like that, maybe. Um, I know it's supposed to be a skull, so that's why they did it, but there's just something off about these models. So overall, I would say I like about 80% of these models I like. I like the guns, I like the armor, I like the new updated realistic proportions. Uh, I like all of that. I like their poses. They've got several different poses. So everything I like except the wings on the side of the head and the face. And I would still say this is a want that for me because I do like these and I'm not going to go buy the old metal ones. Uh, but I don't think that there was a whole lot of reimagining going on here because they do look very similar to the old ones, which is fine, especially if you like the aesthetic of the old ones. And I think I'll probably paint their faces some other color if I end up getting these because just, I don't know, they've got, you remember that old uh, PlayStation 1 game, Grim Fandango? It's like this cartoon skeleton. He has basically the exact same face as these guys. It's just a little off-putting, but it's 60 bucks. That's a pretty hefty price tag for five models. I mean, good God, think about it. When I was starting 12 years ago or yeah, 12 years ago, uh, this would have been like 30 bucks and now it's 60. Welcome to inflation. But what do you do? I don't know. They've got a lot of costs. So you either buy it or you don't is basically what it is. So it is ultimately a want that for me, but I do have some things I don't care for them about. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. And welcome to Real Talk with the Pimpcron. And I just want to say first off, far be it from me to say that 9th edition is complicated or convoluted or just insane with the power creep and balance of this game or, or with the bookkeeping of this game. Because me coming from 5th edition originally, this is a huge amount of complexity, and the problem with complexity is it's often force multipliers. You give one unit a plus one to hit, suddenly each 10 of those models have two shots each, now you've got 20 plus ones to hit is what you have. That's what a lot of GW's things do. They're not limited very much, they are force multipliers. And, of course, you know, tactics are good to use the force multipliers, but you know what? I was talking to the most recent Shorehammer champion, uh, Leroy Jenkins, and I said, you know what? This game is so complex. I, I bet there's just... I would like to know how much one unit could just be tricked out to just do whatever. And I'm talking about spending max CP in one turn, buffing it with characters, buffing it with spells, you know, just doing the, doing the works. What on earth could you come up with that's just absolutely asinine? And Leroy Jenkins was like, hey, so say no more, fam. And he sent me three different lists on uh, email. And uh, so technically, this is a Tesseract mailbox. But he sent this to me because, by golly, I do not have the patience to sit there and try to metagame any BS. But he really likes uh, rules crunching and things like that. And he likes to see how things interact. So... He decided to do this for me, and I'm grateful. So, 
this is a lot to talk about, and it could be complicated. So I tried to break it down into how a unit of Plague Marines could be buffed in each phase, right? In the movement phase, and then just overall durability, and shooting, and melee, and all of that, okay? So, we can tell you that if you took 10 Plague Marines, their base toughness is 5, and they have 3 wounds, and they have reducing damage by one. Whenever they take damage, they reduce it by one. That is already super, super powerful, okay? But with psychic powers, Miasma of Pestilence, you can also give them minus one to be shot or hit in melee. So minus one to hit against them. So you're reducing damage, you're already toughness five, two wounds, and minus one to hit them. That's crazy. Then you put Petrescience Vitality, and you're going to give them plus one strength and plus one toughness. So now their toughness six, two wounds, three up save, reducing damage by one, minus one to hit. Then for two CP, you can just say they can't be shot unless they're the closest unit. That is nuts. Talk about durability. Then in the shooting phase, you, they automatically have it in exonerable advance where they count as remaining stationary for shooting it, as long as you don't run, and they ignore the penalty for moving through difficult ground. So that makes them pretty dependable as far as shooting goes. Then in melee, for one CP, well, actually, plague weapons already reroll wound rolls of one in close combat, and they already give their opponents minus one toughness when they get close to them. So think about that for a second. They're already re-rolling re ones to wound. They already have the plus one strength because of the Petrescian's vitality. And they're giving you minus one toughness. So it's plus one strength and minus one toughness. And for one CP, they get an extra attack with their plague knives. So instead of, I think, two attacks, now they're three attacks. And a warlord trait, they can just re-roll all wounds with plague weapons which is nuts. So they're plus one strength, they're minus one to your toughness, they're getting an extra attack, they're re-rolling ones to wound, and they can just decide to re-roll all wounds. Okay? Now, with one CP, sixes to wound with plague weapons are now AP4. Yes. And now, damage done, like with a power fist, a multi-damage thing, with two CP, the damage can just carry over to other models. Now, Leroy did not explain to me whether or not that was just in the shooting phase, but uh, definitely in the melee phase. So I don't know. It might be actually both of them. And guess what? Another 2 CP, you can just get plus 1 to wound rolls. That is nuts. And with another plus 1 CP, you can just toss 3 grenades that auto-hit, by the way, and they count as pistols so you can shoot them in close combat. That is nuts. So think about this just for one second, okay? A Plague Marine is Strength 4. A Space Marine is Toughness 4, okay? They're naturally going to make the Space Marine Toughness 3, and they're going to be Strength 5. So they're wounding on 3s, right? They're wounding on 3s, and they're going to get an extra attack, and they're going to reroll all of their wounds, and so 3s rerolling. And sixes to wound will be just be AP4. And if they do any multi-damage, it will carry over to other models. 
Oh, and guess what? It's not a 3-up re-rollable. It's a 2-up re-rollable with the 2 CP to plus 1 to wound. And then why not toss some grenades in the shooting phase? Good God. Okay. Not to mention, did I mention the morale? The ignore the combat attrition modifiers? Yeah, that's just base on them. They just do that all the time. You can also give us, uh, for 1 CP, you can give a sergeant a relic, which is nuts. And one thing that I don't understand, but you uh, Death Guard people will, is for 2 CP, Flash Outbreak can use a Contagion from a different model. I know this can be nasty, but I don't understand Death Guard enough to explain, is what Leroy said, and neither do I. James could explain it to me, but for those of you who know, you apparently know. I think they have different Contagion effects, so then you can use a different Contagion, but whatever. Okay, so we've got guys that are minus one to be shot. You can't shoot them unless they're the closest target. They're plus one toughness. They are, oh, I should just say toughness six. They reduce damage by one. They're minus one to be shot. They, <laughs> good God. Okay, guess what? We haven't even gotten into the character support. So if you've got a biologist, putrefier, right? Your grenades, remember those three auto-hit grenades you can just throw in, in close combat? Yeah, they're actually now minus one AP, and they're two damage. So as far as things carrying over to other units, other models, well, you got two damage now, partner. Also, he can choose a squad, and sixes to wound in melee with plague weapons do a mortal wound. So not only are the sixes to wound with plague weapons AP four, they also do a mortal wound. Now, I don't know if this is in addition or not, but good God. Then, if you get the Noxious Blightbringer, you can give them plus one to move, which is pretty nice, because I think they're a little slow. And a Plague Surgeon gives you a six-up feel-no-pain, in case they the enemy accidentally got through the minus one to hit, can't be shot unless they're the closest, plus one toughness, reducing damage by one. I'll just give them a six-up feel-no-pain, by golly. Oh, the Tally Man. You know how the one thing you're probably thinking, the, the one thing, is you're like, gee... The Death Guard, they're only hitting on threes with their extra attack and they're re-rolling all their wounds and sixes are mortals and sixes are extra damage and sixes are AP and your minus one toughness and my plus one strength. Gosh, that sucks. They're only hitting on threes. Well, the Tally Man can give you plus one to hit by golly, because why couldn't he? And this is, of course, the most extreme circumstance. We're throwing two spells and blowing a total of, oh God, Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, about nine, realistically, if you're ignoring the relic. You're blowing nine CP on them, but by golly, they're not going anywhere that turn. Um, and you also have three characters around them. So obviously, this is a ridiculous example. Four characters around them. It's a very ridiculous example, but this is, I'm, this is what I'm talking about. The complexity of this damn game is nuts. And that's why I only play casual games. Let's move on to the Death Watch. Our good pal Leroy claims this about a Death Watch insane combo. You take the Proteus Kill Team, which is an army of renown, and it's got five Marines, Combi Flamer and Lightning Claw, and five Terminators with Stormbolter Power Fist, and three Cyclone Missile Launchers. Already, that sounds like a whole lot for ten models. Their chapter tactics, well, you take the Imperial Fists, their bolter hits explode on sixes and ignore cover. So those 10 shots from the Marines and those arguably 20 shots from the Terminators 
are now all exploding on sixes. I think they count as an additional hit and ignore cover. Now, he might be talking about the Tesla rule where they count as two additional hits, but I don't think so. I think they count as two hits and they ignore cover. That's nuts. Also, tactical or assault doctrine, they get minus one AP to those uh, 30 bolter shots. That's nuts. And the Aquila kill team for reroll ones to wound against one slot. So you pick an HQ, a troop, an elite, whatever. And anything in that slot, you reroll ones to wound. That's pretty crazy. Now, what if you put two chaplains near them? You're giving them plus one hit in shooting. So those 30 shots are hitting on twos. Okay. And sixes explode and they ignore cover. Also, they're AP one. The chaplains will also give them plus two to their charges, in case you needed that for some reason, to use your lightning claw and your power fists. Oh, you can also re-roll your hits in melee. Yeah, just just re-rolling them. I mean, because th- th- three up to hit, a, uh, you know, 66% chance, yeah, that's just not good enough. You, gotta, you got to make that an 87% to hit, and re-roll the additional 13 that you missed, uh, 15 that you missed, and... You are the oh, there's a relic beacon Angelus to teleport the squad to the bike chaplain. That's pretty cool. There's also a relic to reroll wounds against one data slate. So you could be getting reroll ones to wound against a certain slot, or if you just picked a particular unit, then you can reroll all your wounds. So 30 shots hitting on twos and uh rerolling hits in melee, and <laughs> they can teleport. And they can reroll all their wounds against one unit. What if you all set a librarian nearby? Well, they all get a five up, feel no pain, and plus one to hit in melee because rerolling hits in melee just isn't good enough. Now they're hitting on twos and rerolling in melee. And yeah, they're twos to hit in shooting, sixes explode, twos to hit in melee, and rerolling their hits because why not? Also, they fight first. Did I mention that? They also fight first. Yes, they do. And also, by the way, they overwatch with their 30 shots and their five flamers on five ups, not sixes. Good God. Hey, I didn't even notice him back there. There's a captain behind him. Well, they're going to reroll ones to hit. They're already hitting on twos and rerolling everything in close combat and giving him a five up involve. That's pretty sweet. Five up involve, five up fill no pain, two wounds each. The Terminators are three each. Woo! What about stratagems? Okay, well, stratagems, you can just make them transhuman so they don't get wounded on better than a four up, right? Then a relic on the sergeant can give him plus one to wound and a two up save. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> uh, and then the stratum, stratagem where auto uh, hits auto wound. Wait a second. There's a stratagem where their hits auto-wound. So with your 30 bolter shots that explode on sixes and hit on twos, <clears throat> hit on twos, re-rolling ones, yeah, they can just auto-wound. Oh, dear God. He did not explain, he did not include the CP for that, but oh my gosh. Also, by the way, if you thought they were lacking in close combat, it's plus one to hit against Xenos in melee. So, there's that. Good God. Now, like I said before, these are extreme examples, and we're just trying to illustrate the fact that this game is hella confusing at times, and super complex. 
And I understand the granularity behind it, but good God, it's just, it's just too much. The final example is Sisters of Battle. Alright, so what you do here, you start with 20 sisters. This unit contains four Storm Bolters and one Combi Plasma. Alright, you give them the Bloody Rose Army trait, which is plus one attack when charging, which is pretty good in melee, even though they're strength three. Then you get plus one to advance and charge rolls, ooh, making them even more killy, or more reliable, I should say, in melee. Then you can give them sixes to wound in shooting is AP1, and a relic to get two sacred rites. Okay. Then you get sixes to hit and combat explode from a him. So you're an extra attack each, and your uh, sixes to hit explode in close combat. Now, with some buffs, you can reroll hits and wounds from Morvan Val. Hmm, that's interesting. So, not only you get an extra attack and you're getting plus one to charge, and your sixes to wound and shooting are AP1, and you've got uh, two sacred rites, and you get sixes to hit in close combat explode, you're rerolling hits and wounds. Blessing of the Faithful, sixes to wound in close combat, do a mortal wound in addition. Wow, rerolling hits and wounds, and. Sixes to hit in close combat explode, and sixes to wound to do a mortal wound. The Warlord trait is plus one to your invol save, so I think that gives you a five-up invol save, I believe. Uh, then also a plus one to your leadership, and a plus one or minus one to miracle dice. Okay, so we're getting somewhere. What about the hymns? Oh, just plus one attack. Cool, so you get plus two attacks when you're charging now, and a plus one invol save. So you could stack that up to a four up invol now. Uh, an additional sacred right, and shooting at half range increases AP by one, and sixes auto wound. So, let me get this straight. You're re-rolling hits and wounds. Right, with your four storm bolters and your combi plasma and your fifteen regular bolters. You're rerolling hits and wounds. Sixes to wound are AP one for shooting. Okay. And then you're getting uh sixes to wound uh sixes to hit auto wound at half range. And you are AP1 all the time at half range. So then you'll be AP2 for sixes to wound. Okay, so your sixes to wound in shooting are going to auto wound on sixes and it's AP2. That's pretty nuts. Stratagems. Mortal wounds is all he wrote. I don't know what that means. You just deal out mortal wounds, I'm sure, but he wasn't uh, explicit about that. Um, and then, of course, they have transhuman. You can not be wounded on a 1 through 3, which is really fantastic when you're toughness 3, almost army-wide. And rapid fire at full range. So if you're... It depends on how that's worded, right? Shooting in half range... No, that probably doesn't stack. But anyway, rapid fire at full range is fantastic, especially when your 6s to wound or AP and your 6s auto wound. Then shooting at 24 inches... Uh, if you're shooting at 24 inches with all these buffs, I'm glad he summarized this for me. Statistically, you're doing six mortal wounds, uh, 16 wounds, two damage from storm bolter, 30 from the bolter, and two plasma. Okay. And combat, you're getting 60 attacks. 60. That would be 60 hits, 18 mortal wounds, and 18 minus one wounds. 
I hope I read all that right. Do you, uh, okay, do you finally understand what I mean, how this is a freaking ridiculously complex game? Completely unnecessary, but that's, guess what we're dealing with right now. I really feel like 8th edition was the, the, the good old days, and what I mean is the beginning of 8th edition. Before all the codexes got all crazy, everyone was pretty much on the same level, and things were just simple and fun. I mean, I'm not going to say 8th edition was perfect by any means, and it had some wonky stuff. I mean, still, 9th edition has some of the same wonky stuff, like Lookout Sir and whatever. But anyway, thank you to Leroy Jenkins for doing this, because good God, it pained me to even read this list. Thank you for listening, everybody, and thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show, and thank you to my beautiful, sexy, good-smelling Patreon patrons for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate it. And go check me out at... Pimcron TV on YouTube, and uh, you can also look up What Hammer, W U T Hammer, all one word. Uh, what Hammer and I do sketches every single week. They're hilarious. See you next week, guys.